Hello, and welcome to the Nostalgia Podcast. A podcast where we discuss the retelling or continuation of pop culture favorites as seen through a queer and feminist lens. My name is Eric Lefebri. And my name is Jessica Tercero. And this week, we are once again on the pulse of cinema and pop culture, and we are going to plug in to the matrix oh my god we're like so into this like we're so into it i know that when this comes out it'll have been like a few weeks since it came out but just it'll know be almost a month but like we did oh, the, we recorded this yeah. episode way before that like the week yeah after, we recorded this so. the week it came out so oh my god eat it up i've been wanting to do this episode for so long because i at the beginning of the pandemic I did rewatch all of the Matrix movies after hearing another podcast discuss the first one ad nauseum to the point where I was like, wow, like I must have like, I need to go rewatch that. Like these ideas are incredible. Like, oh, and lo and behold, became re-obsessed with the first one. Um, The two and the three, not so much. Still a fun ride. (laughs) But I've been wanting to like talk about the Matrix with you. So I'm really excited. Uh, I think I've mentioned this on the pod before, but when they announce a new remake, like usually, like before the pod, my reaction was like, oh my God, really? Why? Or like, I mean, sometimes I was interested, but like now, no matter what it is, I get fucking stoked because that means that we get to talk about this. Yeah. And I was very, very excited to watch this one. We, um, so for our viewing experience, we decided, because we had also during like the past two and a half years or whatever, the pandemic, um, we watched all three of the Matrix and we watched the Animatrix too, which I had never seen. Same. I also re- I watched the entire Animatrix as well. I'm like Perfect. so prepared. Oh my god, I'm so prepared. So, so like, excited. so for this viewing, like we're all um, me, Danny, and Dave are all like, yes, okay, cool. We're gonna watch all three, and then we're gonna conclude with the fourth one when it comes out. Which here we are. So we watched um, Matrix one and two one day, and then the next day we watched um, three and four. And I don't know if you did that too. Um, but, um, watching the original trilogy and then going to the fourth film was a bad idea. It was a very bad idea. Oh yeah. I, yeah. No, because of the, like, I feel like, and we'll get into it. I feel like the tonal shift would be so jarring from like the severity and the, the very seriousness of like the end of revolutions going into the beginning of resurrections where it's like this sort of meta 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 commentary on like capitalism and and uh idea ownership and being caught in the big air quotes rat race and like creativity at large and let's be real this like first pass of a script whereas like the original trilogy was like years and years in the making um The difference was very apparent, so it sounds like you didn't do what I did. So I'm excited to have these two different perspectives um, yeah. on that because, yeah, we were all here and like I, God, okay, the first Matrix masterpiece, wonderful. I'm oh so excited God. to be here and talk about yeah. it. The new Matrix was about 96 hours long. Um, it was. I and I'm excited to talk about that one because same. I have lots of. You have opinions and I still don't know how you feel about it. So I'm very excited to like, I I don't want to like know (laughs) generally yet. I want to just like dig into it and like figure that out together. Oh my God. Should we dig in? Let's do the first one. (laughs) 
Thomas Anderson is stuck living a double life as both a computer programmer and black market hacker who goes by Neo. His world is suddenly upended when he is contacted by the incredibly badass woman named Trinity, who validates his theory on the existence of the Matrix as an alternate reality he is trapped in along with the majority of humanity. Soon after their meeting, Neo is captured and bugged by Agent Smith and his colleagues, who are actually sentient computer programs working to ensure the stability of the Matrix and purge anomalies that may compromise the program. Neo blacks out and wakes up again, believing it was all just a nightmare when Psych, Trinity, and the gang show up to debug him so he can meet the one and only Morpheus, who gives Neo the choice between the blue pill or the red pill ignorance or enlightenment what a tough call jk he obviously takes the red pill or this would be a short boring movie after a traumatizing sleepers awaken scene neo comes to understand that thanks to a war forever ago the machines are breeding humans to use as batteries and the free humans are on the brink of extinction but omg how cute morpheus believes neo is the one to bring balance to the matrix and free humanity no pressure there's a fight scene between Morpheus and Neo. Trinity falls in love with Neo. Cypher is jealous of Neo. Talk about tension. Eventually, the group makes their way to the Oracle, an old, wise computer program that can actually see the future. She misleads Neo into thinking he's not the one, but oh no, drama! Cypher is actually working with the agents to take down Morpheus so he can go back to the Matrix and forget the world outside it. The agents show up and capture Morpheus while Cypher starts unplugging his colleagues in the real world, killing them because if you die in the Matrix, you die in real life, obvi. Luckily, he's interrupted and doesn't finish off Trinity or Neo, who go to save Morpheus in one of the coolest fight scenes ever. Neo and Agent Smith have a showdown. Neo dies and then comes back to life. Neo then goes inside Agent Smith, killing him from the inside? Anyway, the remaining humans are safe and Neo really is the one. Hooray! Hooray. Um, first and foremost, The Matrix, as a piece of cinema and cinematic history, still stands out as such a paramount piece of cinema to me. Truly. From a story to visual narrative to character to everything, to, to like fight sequencing and choreo, no matter how many times I watch it in my adult life, I'm never not impressed it's so careful it's so intentional like where do we even begin the whole met like the commentary on like systemic privilege and racism in the way of like disintegrating or pulling yourself from that and like those who mean to do well but in fact are just gatekeepers to status quo like enlightenment as an idea and like and even visually, what are we, what are we too, talking about? <laughs> like visually, like it is just as stunning and intentional yeah. and thoughtful as yeah. as the as the narrative, right? And every oh word and every sentence almost has this double meaning. And every scene, like not only is is it beautifully written and beautifully shot and just beautifully styled, but like even the violence is beautiful. Like the way that they, you know, the wire work that they've done. And like, I mean, obviously there's like, you know, the bullet time scenes and there's, you know, um, this this film has so many iconic scenes that really like changed the entire course of cinema with how this was shot and how this yeah. was done. But like truly like, where do we start? Because it is I know. on every level. It I... is just so good, so intentional. And ultimately, what it talks about is choice, right? What's real? What's premonition? What's fate? And like, 
the commentary on humanity being uh, scared about how they're exploiting machines, right? Like th- this is like uh, taken to like level 9,000 of, <laughs> yeah. uh, of like humans being afraid of machinery and AI, you know? And part of the reason why I love sci-fi so much, and we've talked about this a lot, is because of the commentary that you can have on current thoughts and fears and deep systemic issues. And this really is like one of the best sci-fi movies because it it not only like so many movies try to say like three things and they don't even say one well and it's just awful this movie says 50 things at the same time and does each one of them such justice truly i think i have a place that i do want to start and it's the conversation that i i noticed on this watch more so arguably just the conversation of growth and enlightenment base level that idea and that theme as just like a running meeting a new version of yourself and shedding the skin of your past self and and becoming a better version of this person arguably becoming a different person i think that this movie has that like obviously through line with neo but also with all the characters as they develop and they speak with the oracle and what have you one thing i noticed this time um just as a conversation about that sort of like presentness and growth and like a recognition of now I never noticed this before, but uh, right when we meet Neo, he wake well, not right when, but he wakes up from his computer, he gets a knock on the door. It's that group of like cool club hackers. Pay him two grand. He gives them the disc. He's like, you didn't see me. They're like, yeah, we don't know who you are, blah, blah, blah. He makes a joke about masculine, but the girl next to the this character, um, her name's DeJour, which is oh. today or like of the day like of the present mm-hmm. and du jour is the one who persuades neo to go because she's the one with the rabbit tattoo right which is i think an interesting commentary on like following the present and being present and being focused on what currently is not what was or what is coming but like now and that that is the catalyst for this story And then going into the conversation about like the one or like the enlightened self, I do think it's great because even in this, when the Oracle tells Neo, like, you aren't the one. And he's like, what the fuck? Well, they think I am. She's like, yeah, well, sorry, you're not. She's not wrong. And I know that later the commentary is like, well, she said what you needed to hear. But I think the conversation is more of like that version of him is not it. Like he will find that version but it's just not there. And like the shedding of a past life and recognizing that like where I'm at now is not all I am or who I'm going to be. Well, and like... in, that, in that moment too, like, <laughs> I mean, she doesn't outright say like, you're, you're not the one. Like she like lets him, she says, what do you think? And he's like, well, and she's like, I'm sorry. And she just kind of like, I love how intentional she is in particular with her words because she just goes off of what you believe and what you think. And she tells you what you need to hear and where you need to go. She knows how this ends, you know, like. Exactly. But she, if Neo knew he was the one, he might not have gone after Morpheus or he might not have even become the one because in order to become the one, he had to, he had to die essentially, you know. Yeah, he had to shed a past life. And I do think that the the recognition of meeting someone where they're at, but also giving them the space to grow, like recognizing like, oh yeah, you aren't ready yet. You, this isn't Mm -hmm. you, but you'll find it like in time, be here, learn from here now. Eventually you'll, you'll get there, but don't worry about that because what matters is right now and in this moment you're not that person 
it's really cool because like I feel like Neo really has three stages in this film, right? Where he's like the sleeper. He's just like, there's something out there. But he's like this normal dude who has a dick bus, which, you know, we can all relate. Yeah. Um, And he like literally looking around his apartment, looking at his cubicle, like he has nothing there. There is no personality. There is no, um, there is nothing to distinguish thomas anderson from anybody else he is nothing he is absolutely nobody and then when he's taken like when he like you know starts to follow the white rabbit and then takes the phone call and does the thing we start to like see him change and it's like especially once he gets in the matrix he's just like oh shit okay like he wears um like it's like his uh chrysalis phase right where he like wears the clothes and stuff but he's not ready to like really actually do anything and then once he you know dies and like sheds that uh and he's like this big beautiful uh digital butterfly (laughs) he's just like uh he's like cool here i am and and i didn't notice that and i know we're like going in on like symbolism and stuff but like did you notice that the only time he ever puts on sunglasses is at the end of the movie yeah like where like everybody else like in the mate like you know all his buds are like you know sweet like oh my god their outfits these like amazing like leather out like what a fucking moment this movie is but you know in the leather suits with with the sunglasses and he's the only one that's just like sun like wait what i don't i don't understand and 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 i love it because it's so clear it's such a clear symbol of like perception of how you view the world these people get it and he's still learning when he finally gets it glasses on i'm seeing the world now as a new person yeah and it's so evident to like those little moments because they didn't have to do that the story would have worked fine without these little moments but they work so well and like even the titular like goodbye mr anderson he's supposed to be dead gets up my name is neo boom 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 like obviously the resurrection allegory the jesus conversation the savior Mm -hmm. zion that whole bullshit I do think that it's more intentional than just a sort of pseudo-religious allegory, obviously, but like that moment of like shedding your old self, because it's like he did die and come back, but it's like, it is just the, it is the mourning of an old self and the embrace of existence of a new, better, more realized, more assured version, Which which arguably is a different person. Which also goes into, you know, the trans story that is happening here. Like, so fucking perfectly because, like, he starts off, again, Thomas Anderson, nobody, nothing. He's miserable. He fucking hates his life. He hates everything there. He Nothing has any meaning. And the only thing that seems tangible, like, he he only finds happiness and uh, tangibility and anything when he becomes Neo. And, like, from the minute that Trinity meets him, she's like, hey, you're Neo. I see you. Like you're Neo, like you're nobody else. And he starts going by that. The only person at that point that calls him Mr. Anderson is fucking Smith, is the bad guy, which is so cool and so intentional because all of the resistance is all people of color and women. And Mm -hmm. all of the agents, all of, they're all bad guys. They are all cishet white men. In business suits. In business suits. So intentional, trying to reinforce the rules of what this program is supposed to be, what you are supposed to be, what you are allowed to do and not do, who you are allowed to be, how you're allowed to dress, like just bent, hell-bent on fucking control and then trying to fit him into this box, you know? And so like seeing him forever be like, oh no, I'm, I'm... 
okay, I'm Neo and like embrace that name. But when he like really embraces himself as the one, like seeing that is just. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. It's so cool. <laughs> and it's so cool, especially because this whole like, again, all of the bad guys, the the evil arc of this story, narrative arc is all white supremacist, cis supremacist, capitalist supremacist systems and structures that are trying to keep anybody who isn't that in their little box and controlled which is the whole conversation about the matrix and breaking out of it and red pill blue pill all that to see then this moment of like enlightenment assuredness and the birth of knowledge in this way both as a trans allegory as a way to smash like effortless when you when you come into that space when neo comes into that space of i am neo i am this person this is who i was and am currently and will be like this is just it the effortlessness and ease at which he takes down the entire system that was a stronghold against yeah. everything they were trying to do it's like when he's fighting he's just like he's kind of like looking away like, just like whatever and he's like oh i'm bored like what is this I'm bored. and you're like Yes, uh, yeah. Yes, it's so cool. Yes. It's 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 like it's so lovely. And I this movie is so is so intentional about that. Like even the line when Morpheus is showing Neo uh for the first time the code of like they're walking down the street, everyone's in black and white, and he has that sort of dialogue about or sorry, a monologue about like, this is what the world is. We see things like this. We're in this structure, here's what things are. There's a moment when they're walking and Morpheus says, these people are still a part of that system, and that makes them our enemy. As he says this, the camera pans to a police officer who is, like, leaning on his car, and he, like, looks at the camera. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's, like, so good. I was just like, this is so good. And, like, there's also, like, the lines <laughs> at the very end that Neo says where he says, I know you're out there. I can feel you. You're afraid of us, afraid of change. I'm the future and I'm going to tell you how it starts. Like I'm going to show everybody a world without you and without borders and boundaries. And literally the Wachowskis did that with this film. And it's the message of self-empowerment, the message of autonomy and the active conversation around dismantling these systems of privilege and of whiteness and of rigid heteronormative cisgender supremacy shit like it is that active part of the conversation where it's like when we've embraced ourselves and we have the confidence that you have, you're done. When mm-hmm. we when we meet you where you're at, there's no contest. You can't touch us. You can't touch us. We are the future. This is the future. Things will change. Be ready. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, the fucking Matrix. I mean, granted, I do hate that a lot of this uh, language has been co-opted just in terms of like, get red pilled bro like that whole bullshit and also just like i feel like i've also seen the what is it the line like oh why do my eyes hurt you've never used them before like because in the movie iconic and so beautiful and so cool and so like whoa like i feel like i'm on joe rogan like amazing but i feel like that phrasing has like been co-opted by say somebody like joe rogan um who Mm -hmm. means quite the opposite of probably what like who literally missed what this was and And like a lot of people yeah and okay like that's part of why i don't like the next one i don't like four because it feels like it shits on everything that this is and this was in a way that i don't 
I think some of it was intentional, but I think some of it was not intentional. And we'll talk about the damseling of Trinity, which was really fucked, especially when you read these stories where they were trying to say like, oh, we empowered her. We wanted to make her like cooler and have more agency. And it's like, no, she was literally damseled. Yes. Um, but and yeah. I hate that people like you're talking about have taken this to mean something that it was never meant to like taken it so far out of context and um and like at the same time shit on the creators just yeah it just it's just like it's the co-opting of like queer allegory and of like expanding your mind outside of the systems and the power structures that be it's being co-opted by those who exist within and reaffirm those power structures as a way to say like see i'm smart and strong and it's like no this movie is literally like the antithesis of you and everything you believe. Unfortunately, you did get it wrong, but because of the vague sort of way that it's structured here for the sake of a story, which I get, and it's not like it's nothing against the film. It's easy to kind of take that and reappropriate it just because of the vague language. Um, and that's just, that's just the sake of art. That's just fucking what happens with art. And mm-hmm. I understand that, but it still is such a good strong powerful intentional story and like oh my god like i i have nothing bad to say about this film i do think far and above i think all of the character i mean well here's my only thing actually i do have something bad to say about this movie which is just in general um also lana stop wearing dreads what are you doing like it's 2021 yeah i i like that has nothing to do with the movie but like girl get it together i saw a picture of her recently and i was like oh that has to be like 10 years ago absolutely and i was like no she oh still gosh, has no. dreads love your pink pers- hair absolutely yeah. love it but please white girl was reds we're not like come on it's just what and that's besides the point but i guess it kind of informs this perspective on the idea of the cultural appropriative angles that this movie takes when it comes to asian cultures I Mm. still think is a little rough just in terms of like they're not doing anything necessarily damning or demeaning, but there is a level of like exoticism when it comes to like, well, the ultimate practice and the ultimate like violence or like uh, fighting. It's like I feel like there's still this level of like it's Kung Fu. Yes. (laughs) We don't know the ways of the mysterious. It's like stop mystifying these cultures and also conglomerating like lumping like i feel like it does it really subtly it's not overt it's not crazy rough but i do think that this movie still does that in a way that's both reductive and harmful again it's not crazy overt but it is still in a movie that arguably has very little flaws um it was a glaring like we are we like i know it's 1999 but like let's i mean there's like the whole dojo right where like they you know where he's learning how to fight and where he's learning kung fu and this and that and so like yeah i mean it would be really nice at some point to see other fighting styles just in cinema in general like that aren't kung fu or taekwondo or karate or anything like like that like like do capoeira why don't we give these names rather than relying on like ooh, like how fancy he's a black belt you know and to me to me that is the the biggest issue is like it does stem from a white perspective of asianness and of like the mysticism again i use that in a very intentionally loaded way 
of Asian cultures when it comes to, say, fighting or lineage or history, where we're not going to examine those things, but we're going to play with the idea that, like, ooh, it's so mysterious and he's so powerful and it's so, like, we don't know. Like, all of these things that lend itself to, like, the possible erasure of identities and cultures in a way that America loves to do is just... Like, again, why don't we talk about other things? Like, why is it just, why is that the pinnacle? Mm -hmm. I do like the inclusion of that kind of stuff, but not in this way. This way is a very white and blanket, ignorant way. And it's, it's like one of the only things that I had an issue with. And similarly, I do think that the next one has that same problem where I'm like, why are we I think not? They learning? all have that same problem. They, they all do. They all yeah. do exactly. I mean, like, um, but again, if you really want to like yeah. try to break out and do something unexpected, do a non-Asian fighting style. Literally, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. But then, but then, arguably, I'm like, well, are we really surprised that a white woman with dreads is culturally appropriating in her film? <laughs> not really. But even <laughs> then, um, that was my only big thing and even then it's not huge but it's still an issue because it is still problematic and i'm like Ugh, come uh, on speaking of For problematic yeah um so tank um the, the oh ship's yeah let's pilot, talk about right? this um so i've always really liked tank like watching this movie I was like fucking he's so cool like he just has like the cutest smile and it's just so like here and like ready for them and i you know again we watched like all of the sequels this week so i was like oh why was he recast because it's like it's such a weird moment where i forget the actor's name but um he plays his brother and like does an incredible job right like he's he's a good fucking get for that role but like it's just like, oh, well, um, you know, Dozer and Tank died, so I have to take their spot. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, but Tank lived. Tank, And so we looked up why Tank wasn't back. And it turns out that the actor Tank. ended up being a trash monster. Marcus Chong. Marcus Chong wanted to be in the second movie, right? They were like, cool, cool, cool. Uh, but they wanted to be um, on all of the posters with trinity neo and morpheus like it and it was going to be and tank right so they wanted to like they were trying to strong arm their way into main cast right or um leading cast not supporting and he was originally going to get four hundred thousand dollars for the for the film but he's like no you gotta give me a million dollars and i want this uh top billing and i want to be on the posters and i want this and i want this like and at some point, the Wachowskis and the studio were like, um, absolutely not. No, thank you. We're just going to, you know, we're just going to recast. We're, we're going to figure this out. So he went and uh, started like um, he threatened the Wachowskis, like he threatened to kill them and a bunch of other really fucking gross stuff to where like they ended up having to call the police on him. And I think there was also a lawsuit. He uh, apparently during the filming of the uh, the original Matrix also pulled like some unwanted pranks that were not great for anybody. Love but pranks. We fucking love. <laughs> and then since then, he has written books and um, he has done a documentary on how the Wachowskis fucked him over and he's just got like these big like trump supporter anti-vaxxer vibes going for him and to this day he still will not recognize the wachowskis as females or as um uh as their names he fucking dead names them he's like literally since this movie been trying to drag their names and trying to profit off of it 
What a mess. He's a mess. What a, what so, a, yeah, what a bizarre him. mess. I do like how in the next one they were just like, no, 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 he died. And you're like, oh, mm-hmm. for sure. God, what a fucking asshole. What a mess. Yeah, truly. Uh, so. I, I do want to bring up, ooh, going back to the trans allegory, one thing that I noticed more so in this one, uh, this viewing than I had before. When Neo meets Trinity at the club, she walks up and she says, hey, I'm Trinity. He says, I just thought you were a guy. Yeah. And she says, most guys do. As a conversation about transness, what a fucking quote. What a text. Right? Like, Yeah. Like, just the assumption of gender and the way that it's just like, yeah, that, that isn't me. Like, I know mm-hmm. that you assume these things based on how I present, but that's not who I am. And you're just like... Mm, I just it just like it was such a glaring perfect quote of like yes this is a trans story this is a queer story let's talk about it oh truly and let's talk about Trinity for a minute since we're already on her 100% one of our first introductions to her she is like literally telling herself get up do this like she's trying like she's (sighs) surrounded by people that want her dead that want to hurt her and she's just like okay you have to do this. You have no other option. Just fucking do this. And I think as a as a introduction to have that right after like seeing her kick so much fucking ass is so cool because like you see this like happen effortlessly, but she takes this moment to be just like, okay, okay, you can do this. Okay, recenter yourself and go, 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 yeah. go, 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 go. Because I feel like she really is kind of the heart of this movie, mostly because she also you know, represents love and, um, and you know, that whole thing with Neo where they like, they play on her feminineness like a bit too much for me in yeah. some parts. And it doesn't really seem like I, we have that great fucking introduction with her, but she doesn't, she does like kick ass like sometimes, but other times she's just like fucking quiet and doesn't like assert herself or say how she's feeling. Um, but like kind of lets everybody else have their feelings. Like, yeah. so that kind of bothered me a little bit. Well, it also just sucks that I feel like this is the case with any movie or any narrative that has a big romantic arc or like romance as like the pivotal key, like why we're invested. And with her again, we see this like strong, empowered person. I mean, our first interaction with her before she even says any words, the gatekeepers of the status quo, the agents, agent Smith, right? They're the strong ones are the ones who keep everything in check. They, recognize like the police are like oh our men are bringing her down he's like no your men are already dead such a good line (laughs) they they they're the ones who control the world and they recognize that she is a severe threat Mm -hmm. that's how we're introduced to her iconic right like how fucking sick is that but the moment that like she falls in love or that like her future having been sort of told by the oracle that she's going to fall in love with the one as soon as that starts coming into play within the narrative, she kind of does tone back on the strength for the sake of Neo. Like she has to pull back in order for him to shine in a way that more often than not, when these narratives are told, um, the women do have to take a backseat or the femme presenting characters do have to take a backseat and be smaller so that 
the reluctant plucky or what have you male presenting masculine hero can shine and learn and become the big winner of the show. And to me, (laughs) it really felt like she was, um, she did take that backseat intentionally. Like as soon as Neo was found, you know, she, if it was a fight, she was fucking in it and she kicked so much ass and she was so cool and she did so great. But every other time she was just kind of in the shadows observing and she was observing because there was this conversation within herself was, is he the one? And like, which is like kind of a double entendre, right? Because it's like, is he the one that's going to save the matrix or is he the one, my one, right? Talking about soulmates and all of that, which like as women, like we are, you know, told like, oh, you can meet the one at any moment. And like, you know, when you least expect it, you're going to find them. And have you found your one? Like it is, it's just so pushed forward. So while she's trying to figure that out, like she's just so, kind of quiet and so kind of there and observing and um and it's just yeah she really does take a back seat she does i think the she only literally time... is in the back seat with morpheus because uh, morpheus and neo in their front seat and she's in the fucking back seat <laughs> i think i think the only time that i feel like she does step out of that box a little bit once having receded a, a tad is when Neo's like, I'm going to go back and save Morpheus. And she's like, I'm coming with you. He's like, no, you're not. She's like, she's like, (laughs) she's like straight up. Like, first of all, I'm the captain. Second of all, fuck you. And third of all, if you have a problem with that, you can go to hell. And he's like, Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. And that's the only time (laughs) that she really asserts herself. Even when, even (laughs) when Cypher is one by one killing everybody around her because he's a gross incel boy who is like, oh, you're not going to be with me. Well, I don't even want to be here. I'm going to go back to the matrix. Like, yeah, even then she's just kind of like, no, no, no. Oh, my God. Don't. Do- oh, my God. Don't. Don't. No. And yeah. and I'm just like, where the fuck is this woman that is like that we saw at the very beginning? Where's the woman that walks, you know, that told put fucking Neo in his place and went to go save Morpheus in literally one of the coolest fights in like in cinema history where it is literally raining bullets like and even when they're on the roof, like. Neo's about to die and she just pulls like puts the gun to that guy's head and she says dodge this you're like oh my god it's just so fucking cool she's She's so so fucking cool cool. she's so cool so why like she can only be that in the moment of battle like why can't she have that same agency in her actual life and yeah again that's a trope that like you know so many women fall into in these kinds of things great fighter kind of sucks at home you know like doesn't know how to function um, well, it's also I think it's it's such a shitty like binary too within that kind of a, a of trope for a character for a movie oh my, that's supposed of, to be fucking breaking fucking boundaries and yeah. binaries. It's just because a lot of that that same trope where it's like oh she's such a good fighter it leans into the masculine. So like when it comes to like being a big air quotes woman, um, oh like. I don't know how to like be in love or dainty or cook or like all these things. Like, I mean, literally look at any movie that um, fucking what's her name? Sandra Bullock has been in <laughs> that that character. Right. Oh, Miss Where Congeniality? She's like, oh, my literally, God, love. Any one of these movies like she is the sort of tough girl. And because she's a tough girl, she can't be soft, pretty girl. And oh, what a dilemma. And like, I feel like this movie leans into it a little too much. And I just and again, I get really bored with like these prototypical love stories, especially for a movie that is so outside of the typical and like a question everything, if you will, film uh, for it to be so like this man and this woman 
and he's the one and I know he's the one and you're the one because I know it and you need to get up and you need to come kiss me and you need to love me because I'm in love with you. And you're like, I mean, sure, but also like, (sighs) which is one of my also issues with the next one where we lean harder into love will save the day, which but sure, we also, but also like ugh. at the same time have to say binary like 85,000 times in that fucking yes. movie. So, I, so for I do a movie have a lot. that's trying to like break for this one, trying to subtly break binaries and boundaries and talk about choice and um, and all of that. And like on a very subtextual, very smart level. Um, and even I like even two and three, like, are they great? They're not the best, but like at least I think that they were fun and they were watchable yeah. and they still had a lot of subtext, which is cool. There was a lot of really fucking cool fight scenes, which is great. Um, the next one, literally like all of that subtext is just so fucking surface level that it's insulting. Um, I mean, I have a whole a completely different take and I'm really excited to talk about it. We'll, we'll get into that yeah 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 we'll get into that <laughs> i i'm i because i agree with you but like differently yeah okay sure, sure anyways sure. a lot of what we saw in this one is going to it, it's going to be cyclical with like you know comparisons and stuff by its very nature by its own storytelling you know what i mean yeah. so 100 yeah, yeah. let's just do it okay cool. okay i'm down New is stuck living life as Thomas Anderson, the successful video game developer who developed a trilogy of games called The Matrix based on his memories as Neo in the previous Matrix. It's very meta. However, Neo believes that his memories are delusions thanks to years of gaslighting and mental conditioning by his therapist, also known as the Analyst. It appears Neo has resigned himself to a life of confused sadness, content to watch Trinity, I mean, uh, Tiffany, from afar, with a never-ending blue pill prescription. Then one day, Bugs and the gang from New Zion, I mean, Io, find and free Morpheus from a modal Neo belt who is really half Morpheus and half Agent Smith, who in turn helps them find and free Neo, whose appearance and code were altered in the Matrix so nobody would find him. Wow! Neo is in disbelief, but goes along with it anyway. Then there's a big battle, and it turns out Agent Smith is also there, but forgot who he was, and he's Neo's game company partner? They get Neo out, and during another terrifying Sleepers Awaken moment, Neo sees Trinity in the pod next to him, but is whisked away by good robot Sabebe before he can even process what the fuck is happening. (laughs) Neo is dying after being disconnected from the pod for the first time in 60 years, but has a fight with Morpheus in the fake Matrix and is all better. Once he's awake, he's introduced to the crew comprised of neo-nerds and a few animal-like synthians, the machine's preferred title, when they turn away from the evil machine overlords. They swear that Neo's sacrifice changed everything, but it still seems like hella people are being exploited by machines, and the Sentinels are still kinda after humans, so did it though? They make it to Io, and old General Niobe grounds the ship and locks Neo up to preserve the peace Io has? JK, Neo and the crew leave a few minutes later to go back to the Matrix to free Trinity. They make it in and fight Agent Smith and the Frenchman's gang, then head to Trinity's motorcycle shop where new architect, I mean the analyst, confesses to rebuilding Neo and Trinity after the final battle in Matrix 3 to make a new stable version of the Matrix. Shit happens. They get out and go back to Io. 
Santi, little program girl from the first movie, comes up with a plan to save Trinity. They do it. Trinity can fly because her and Neo are both the one now, and they decide to rebuild the Matrix themselves into whatever they want it to be. Hooray? Okay, so first and foremost, I really enjoy this, and I'll tell you why. I think that as a piece of unwanted nostalgia... I think it is a really lovely camp. I think it's I think it's fucking camp. I think it's because like there are moments that feel intentionally bad. Like oh, I I a hundred percent agree with you. This as, feels like fan fiction, and if it is fan fiction, then I can take that because I can I like if this is Lana Wachowski's fan fiction of what happens with the Matrix after the fact, fucking cool but but that's why that's why i because i think that's what it was intended to be because that whole narrative subplot the meta meta bullshit about like making the matrix four and like developing this game that is the matrix four and that because warner brothers was literally going to do that yes yeah and they named up warner brothers in the thing warner brothers is making this game like they use that as a big sort of fuck you to the IP of the Matrix as a way to take back ownership mm-hmm. of it in a way that like you didn't have the agency where that's like the whole first 30 minutes of this movie. And the first 30 minutes are wonderful. And I fucking loved the first 30 minutes of this movie. I was like, this is what I'm here for. I'm fucking here for this. I'm like, I'm all in. Like yeah. the way that they hung on Neo and showed him as a broken man like was heartbreaking to see and so and like seeing him in Trinity oh you're so close you're right there you know like it was so cool and so interesting I was like what the fuck is happening I am fucking into this and then like to me it felt like after that 30 minutes everything was just like shitting on the whole IP (laughs) I felt like see I disagree because to me I feel like that's like the setup to to let us know that like what was the line where um bugs when they're on the roof and they're like rewatching essentially the first matrix mm-hmm. play out in the mo- in the modal where morpheus is trapped by neo they say maybe this isn't the story we think it is after trinity is captured as a meta commentary on the first movie Absolutely. we're like we're seeing this play out again and i'm like okay that is so is that a such a bad line it's such a mm-hmm. bad line but because it's so bad and so in your face, like maybe this isn't the story we think it is. Like, and I was here for that. I was here for that. I was like, I same. see this and I'm here for this. Same. But for me, as, after watching the first three and just fucking subtext, 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 also gorgeous fight choreography, also just like everything means something, everything is. And in this one, it was to me... After that first 30 minutes, it was so boring. It was, even the fighting, the fighting was so boring. It didn't feel like Matrix fighting to me. The slow-mo thing I thought was awful. But to me, the thing I think that really made this movie feel like camp is it didn't, like, both The Matrix and Io didn't feel like a fully fleshed out world. It didn't feel lived in. Because when you're okay. in the real world, you the only people that we see there that are real people, supposedly, are like Neo and Trinity. Everybody else, everybody else is fucking bots. Everybody else is a program, you know? And like, they're like, oh, but everybody's trapped in here and Neo and Trinity have to be in there. And it's like, wait, but who the fuck, where are the actual people, right? And even when you go to Io, the only people you see, you see 
Niobe, you see a couple of ship captains, and you see the botanist. But who the fuck else do you see? Like, in the first movie, we're walking on the streets of New York, and we see people living their lives, going around, you know. We we have interactions with, you know, people that are, like, opening doors or doing this. In Zion, right, we see people just, like, walking around and, and, you know, like, getting ready for a battle or, like, dancing over here or, like, it feels full it feels lived in and these feel lifeless i feel similarly especially like even from the perspective of the way that it's shot i think a lot of those like weird effects of like ooh, i'm dizzy gross and really basic and boring also i feel like it's so uncinematic mm-hmm. like i feel like for some reason like the first one like amazing but this one looks like a like there's almost moments where I feel like if it's a student film. It didn't even have like the same look or feel or anything no. as the fr- like this is a completely separate film from the trilogy. This has nothing to do with it. And here's an unintentional thing that I think is wrong. Like I think some of the choices for it being so meta whatever I think it's camp. I think it's intentional. I think it's like an intentional degradation of this glorious thing for the sake of like recognizing that like Warner Brothers trying to replicate this for profit or reboot it for profit is gross and toxic. So they're going to take it intentionally. Cool. However, I did read something about the way that Lana makes movies and designs movies in pre-production. Apparently before she transitioned she would storyboard everything as a way to make sure that nothing was a surprise as a way to like kind of coast and like in this way where like she isn't discovered. Like I know what's coming and I can control what's coming. Mm -hmm. So as sort of a uh, transformative uh, performative allegory for like being trans and existing as this like lovely queer woman, she no longer storyboards because why does she have to? anymore apparently um Mm. that's wrong and bad uh you need to fucking storyboard your film (laughs) like not to be a (laughs) dick but like hey maybe that's why it looks really cinematography why like uh cinematically like the colors the 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 shots the and the fight scenes the fight scenes i was like expecting at the very least like incredibly choreographed with like a bunch of wire work and it just felt like any other action movie it felt so boring and there were so many times where it's like okay surely this is almost done and it's like no i have two hours left in this movie god damn it you know what i mean yeah, and like literally, I th- like I just like what a bad idea. I do think like good for her for like embracing this as an idea and like wow, cool, love that for you. However, that's why it looks bad. That's why it looks worse, and that's why it looks supremely uncinematic. Because if you're kind of just like, well, let's just like vibe out in the space, like. Sure, I love the organic aspect of that, but absolutely the fuck not. Especially, especially for an IP that is so drenched in intentional shot and intentional cinematography. Like, and that's why can't... I think that this is to me like this was insulting as as a Matrix yeah. film because to go from something that was so intentional and like, look, if it was like you know Lord of the Rings and like the next one was like this caliber or anything, I'd be like fucking into that because like Lord of the Rings is very binary. It was not like 
revolutionary or anything. It fucking is what it is. But the Matrix meaning so much to so many people, especially as a trans story or as an anti-capitalist story or as like, you know, there, there's we've already talked about there's like 50 million ways you can read that movie. And to each person, like what that is, is it's, you know, it it gave so much meaning and so much validation, you know, but like to to go from that to go to this, like it just felt yeah, it just felt like you oh, you didn't care about what that meant to me. You didn't like I I loved this and this meant so much to me, but you you don't care. But but to me, I kind of like it as the opposite in the way that like I would argue she cares even more so because and this is where it gets tricky. She cares so much that she does not give a shit how it reads like this is my story i'm taking it back you don't own what i created you don't own this thing so i'm going to do it my way fuck the fans which cool from an artistic perspective artistic perspective fucking cool but but also it does not read uh from a fan perspective (laughs) because like also like as i was going into this like like after the 30 minutes i was just like okay and then i was like okay okay like and I realized that I started just like getting upset because or like or like because I had more questions and things weren't lining up and making sense with like okay cool like this is what the matrix is and what you established okay cool and then all right I get that you're breaking some of the things from the original trilogy but then like there were things that were broken or like weren't even well fleshed out in this movie that I was like you're trying to establish this but like literally what are you saying like Neo's like what the fuck like nothing changed why did i sacrifice myself why did trinity have to die like uh none of it mattered and they're like oh no but it's okay because look at everything change and there's like three animalistic robots <laughs> that are there and they're like uh, see everything has changed and it's like okay yeah. but they're still being hunted by the by the sentinels right and yeah. there's still people fields and there's like okay there's four robots on your side and other than morpheus which you just got and the the one botanist dude they're all animals you have like i mean which are very cute and i thought they were gorgeous but like this is not progress yes. this is not progress at all yes and so I also feel similarly, like, after that first big chunk of time, a lot of that stuff was a little boring and taxing and tiresome. I do think all the Naomi stuff was like, why? I, that um, honestly did not need to be there. We were, it didn't. they both we really, get grounded and then, like, two minutes later, we're fucking out. We did not need to go to IO at all. If we would I, have cut that whole thing out, it would have been a much better movie. I agree. And also, even, like, Again, some of the action sequences were, like, not well done. I think bringing back the Frenchman was, like, kind of, like, why? That was fucking tiring. Like, and, why And making him this big-ass fucking boomer, like, he was so bad. Yeah, he was, like, he was just big fucking... Also- we made with within this thing, we made a big, big fucking stink to say all of the old programs were fucking purged. All of them were, were gone. They're all gone. Why is Smith there? First of all, Smith doesn't like, oh, well, the duality. They try to like say that. But no, that's not it. And fuck you for doing that. And like trying to tie Morpheus and Smith in Morpheus because they both made new who he is. Fuck that. I hate that. But why did the Frenchman and his henchmen survive the purge. How does that make narrative sense? It's, I mean, it's true. Why? That didn't, that didn't make that... sense. I don't know why they were back. 
why in this movie that is so fucking like choice is an illusion why was it so fucking important that trinity got to make a choice if it's all fucking illusion and it doesn't fucking matter like why are you telling us that none of this matters and there is no choice what fucking choice is this but like still making an emphasis on making the choice that isn't a choice like to me that was like that was bad and that was lazy when neo gets out so like i in the first matrix neo is what like in his 20s or something right and they Mm -hmm. have to like spend like a week like physically like rebuilding his muscles because of the muscle atrophy that because he's never fucking used his muscles right so this is 60 years later he gets out of the pod and he could just fucking walk like like that's fucking cool why for smith specifically when you've decided to bring him back because you told us this was an intentional choice, why did you change his appearance permanently? And why, when everybody else is kind of like talking like or acting or has these mannerisms of their former selves, why is he just a new person? Well, that is because what's-his-name didn't want to come back. I mean, sure, but like he could have like had at least some of the same vocal cadence or something because I was like, this is well, not the, Smith. This well, is, the thing is, I, is think he, I think he tried, and I think Jonathan Groff just didn't pull it off. He was not Unfortunately, Smith. he wasn't. But I do like that the two big villains were both queer, um, just as a perspective on the insidiousness of, again, like we've discussed, white cis queerness or like white cis male queerness mm-hmm. uh, in that way where like I thought that that was like cool I don't like Neil Patrick Harris I thought he did a good job in this but it, a lot of these concerns these questions that you have about this movie I agree also there was this yeah. article that I saw where um, where Lana was uh, talking about how this movie was for like kind of fraternity like where she was um you know coming into her own and having her own agency or something like that and i was just like were we watching the same movie because literally trinity is damseled in a way that she was never damseled in the first three movies because she was literally literally stuck in the like he literally fucking left her and then she's she has a she has babies here so she's you know her maternal instinct okay but then she has to choose between her family and her. Uh, so it's still her like, it's her like combating her feelings is her big bad, <laughs> which is yeah. which is so wild. But then even her like her powers that she gets at the end where she's like, oh my God, she can fly. Oh my God. Is there like, is she the one now? Oh, like her abilities that she gets are not even specific to her because this whole um, this whole film, like Neo is like, you know, they're they're like joking like, oh, can you fly? Can you do the thing? And he's like, nope, can't fly. And we see, I was really uncomfortable with the amount of times we saw people jumping off of buildings, starting with Neo like two or three times. And then people are jumping out of the buildings as like, you know, bombs on Trinity and Neo. Like that was really unsettling and uncomfortable to me. And then the last final thing was you know them jumping off the building and then oh oops trinity can fly but again that power is specific to neo nobody else could do that before him and so it's like oh look at trinity can do that now that's cool and then it's like okay well maybe she's the one in this matrix because there has to be an anomaly or something but then literally the very next scene is like oh nope they can both fly they're both the one um so like she doesn't have anything unique to her and love saved them jess but it was love but love saved them it's i mean yes 
that whole narrative, the whole damseling of uh, Trinity. I also, I mean, what kind of peeved me a little bit off the bat was like one of her first lines with Neo when they're like discussing, she's having a conversation with him about how like, I rewatched some of the clips and you based the character off you, right? She's like, I had a question about Trinity, this character Trinity. Like I tried to show my husband, like, who do you think that looks like? And he laughed in my face and I laughed and it was a joke. And I had to like, just swallow that pride when she says, I wish that I had like kicked his jaw off. I was kind of like, this seems out of place. Like this seems. Why are you li- with him then Trinity? Like well, not even, not even that, but just like the, the vibe, like sure. Like I like the conversation of like, uh, of of being frustrated or feeling stuck or feeling complacent like mm-hmm. in relationships in life what have you in the same way that like they're stuck in this system but that line just seemed so like like i feel like it was trying to be like yeah because trinity's a badass but i'm like hey domestic violence actually isn't badass uh just as like a heads up uh, truly i don't think trinity would have said that even if she's in this it, like she wants to literally break her husband's jaw off yeah. How about we talk so. to our partner about how like, hey, that's actually kind of fucked up and like I'm kind of upset. Like maybe talk to him, Queen. Like what's the deal? But I feel like it was used in this movie as like a way to be like, see, there's the there's the real Trinity. She's mm-hmm. coming back. We're about to see her in action and we're getting glimpses and I'm like, that's not really a glimpse of her. That's like a glimpse of somebody who is in a bad way but also kind of a bad person. Like I right. don't think that you really know Trinity, I guess, then. Um, which, again, you could argue they don't <laughs> based on how we see her depicted later in the film. I mean, she's nothing in this movie because she's half of it. She's not even herself. And then the half that she is herself, she just is fighting and takes on the she takes on Neo's role. The, so if the, anything, the... it's more erasure. <laughs> yeah. The, the Also, the payoff is so bogus with the like my name's not Tiffany, my name's not Tiffany. And then finally, when it's like, she's being pulled out of the coffee shop, she's made her choice to stay in the Matrix. And then her husband says like, something about Tiffany again. And she pulls away. She's like, my name's Trinity. As a way to like, call back like, oh, she's awakened. Like, it's the new self. But I'm like, this, we've spent like two seconds with Trinity. And also this isn't even Trinity. Like, also, why are we still at this fucking coffee shop? Mm-hmm. Like, this coffee shop should have ended. Like, why are we back here? And why is the final sequence happening here at this coffee shop? What? Mm-hmm. Why? What's the point of that? Um, the people jumping from buildings. That was scary as fuck. Uh, it was really unsettling, A. And I agree with you. I think the the constant reiteration of, like, death by suicide from jumping from buildings, like, in this space, Neo, like attempts essentially or he's told that that's the case and then these people actually doing it and then him doing it before he's pulled back by bugs like it happens and then at the end doing it like that is that is the apex when they are going to thelma and louise just kidding because again because again what does that mean like if we're saying like oh after enough times maybe you will fly like i get that there's the argument of like leap of faith and and believing in yourself to a point where like when you do take that leap know that you'll like know when you're ready and when that moment happens like you will be capable in the same way that we've talked about neo in the first one but i do think the visualization of that leap of faith that literal leap being off of a tall building um is not the look (laughs) i don't think it's the look i don't think it's 
I, yeah, it's just, it, it just felt seems, really, really bad and really off. It, it felt gross. Yeah. I still think, I personally still think that this movie is a, okay, how am I going to say this? I think it's a good piece of the IP be in the, in the context only of I'm taking it back. I'm owning it. This is my story. Fuck you and fuck everybody else. Cause to me, I'm also like, sure. Like I, I a hundred percent support her decision to do that because again, the movie was going to happen regardless whether or not the Wachowskis were a part of it or not. Lana's the only one who said, yes, she's back. She's doing it. Not because she wants to. The story was supposed to end. The story was never supposed to continue. Like the story was done. Like this was not going to happen explicitly, clearly. They're going to make it happen because they own the IP. So as a piece of sort of uh, prologue script to the Matrix IP, I love that she kind of said, fuck you and whatever. Like you want a love story? Fuck it. You want this? Sure. The first 45 minutes is going to be this big meta conversation with literal text from people who kept telling her what her movie was when which is, she's like, I made so it. It was so fucking good. That was iconic. so fucking smart. Cool. And then later, like where it's just like, okay, we have this big conversation about like, fuck you, Warner Brothers and fuck this whole thing. And then the rest of it is just kind of a boring romance piece that is so intentionally like... I mean, I, intentionally is not necessarily the right word because I don't know if it was because it's not clear again because it does seem very haphazard. However, the fact that it is kind of just this very expected, very simple love story between one character and another and look, we're in love and we're flying away. I am kind of obsessed with that because it feels like an intentional tanking of the IP. And here's the thing. I absolutely stand by that. I would yeah. probably have done something similar because oh, yeah. now this ensures that there's never going to be another Matrix, right? Like in all of that. But and for that reason, and I'm but, like, but, 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 <laughs> Literally, like, I can respect that, but that doesn't mean this is a good movie and that doesn't mean it's that true. I like it. It's true. So, like, those two things true. are 100% separate. And, like, on a super meta level, I see you and I understand what you did and why you did this. As a viewer... This is just not a good movie. And see, for me, I we're, we like agree at the exact same level, but I'm mm-hmm. the opposite reaction of it where I'm like, is it a bad movie? Yes. Do I like it? A lot. I liked it a lot. I think it's like, <laughs> because, because of also what it means for like the zeitgeist and sort of like our present day experience and our reality. Like in the same way that the, the original Matrix is this conversation about like reality, what is, what isn't. And the way that this is kind of a a stink piece on not only the IP, but on the zeitgeist and the things that the matrix are. I think that's amazing. Like just the sheer, it's like, it's like performance art to me. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I like I'm with that, you. that, that a hundred percent just like, it just feeds into my enjoy. Cause like apart from all of the problems with it, I do think there's obviously a lot of problems. I do think that there's a lot of messiness and it's kind of bad, but even watching it, I still enjoyed it pretty thoroughly from start to finish. And I think recognizing this as an artistic choice to kind of tank it just feeds into my enjoyment of it more where I'm like, oh, yeah, like, especially for a, a movie that is a commentary on the system, on culture, on all of these things for then to make that movie be this bigger statement about 
creative integrity and ownership and blah. Like, oh, that's where I live with it. Because again, sure, everything you've said, I agree with you. But yeah. I, I, I feel like if um, if the damseling of Trinity wasn't so awful, if the worlds yeah. felt more lived in, um, it would have been more palatable to me. I did watch this twice. I watched it once without notes, taking notes. I watched it the second time and took notes, and it did take me 84 hours to get through it because it yeah. is an 84-hour movie that second time. Um, but, like, this movie is so... It is trying so hard to hit you upside the head with, like, fuck binaries and choices illusion and all of this when literally it is just reinforcing you need to make a choice or it is like reinforcing those those binaries and and like just like hitting you over the head with like this um these like hey look this is a big idea this is a big idea here and it just got so hard and like literally the regressiveness of again trinity's character and of morpheus like where neo is dying because he's not hooked up to this machine that he's been hooked up to for the past 60 years right rightfully so his body is just like no fuck this like this is not my normal environment i'm not here for this and the only way that they can think of to bring him back is to make him fight, like to incite physical violence, because that is what is going to get him going again. Because at his core, Neo is is violence or he is going to fight for love because it's like, oh, but Trinity, yeah. you have to do the thing. And to me, that was just bad. And that was a bad choice. And that was boring. <laughs> and so like, literally, in order to save his life, you have to beat the shit out of him. Like, how fucking regressive is that? And it made me when that part happened, I literally in my head, I was like, where's Christina Aguilar's fighter? They need to cue it. <laughs> like, I was just like, yeah, put it back there. It'll work. This Because this movie is ridiculous. So like, put it there. Like, it's going to be fun. It's going to be so fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, My biggest, like, actual issue with this movie why the fuck was Christina Ricci there for uh, three sentences? Oh, my God. She looked so good. I was ready for her to be in so much more of it. And then she is literally there for... She's there for two thir- seconds. Yeah, for like... yeah. She says it. she says three sentences and then we never see her again. That wig, that look, Incredible. that character, bring her back. Give her power. Make her the one. Incredible. Why are we not doing yes. this? Like. Why wasn't she like, you know, buddies with the analyst? Why weren't they teamed up? Like, can oh you imagine God. how iconic? How, how iconic. incredible. I mean, yeah. I And that I actually did have a problem with. Like, what the fuck? I was so ready for Christina Ricci to be in this like significantly and she wasn't. And it made me really upset. I also, one of the things that did kind of bother me was that like, and I, it makes sense narratively, but I think it was just like a bad choice and we could have done something better. The analyst is literally a therapist. So the therapist is the bad guy who is like trying to help Neo through his trauma and then gives him pills, which are blue pills. Oh my God. He's taking blue pills like everyday therapists and mental health and uh, mental health medication is bad. Like that is evil. And that's go- like, I fucking i i that left a really bad taste in my mouth oh no that is inexcusably uh bad because again too it just it does reinstill that conversation of like oh well he's just manipulating neo and like i don't need somebody to twist, I don't need twist therapy. my words therapy around is I don't bad. Need this is how therapy works you know yes yeah is, i hated it Ugh, it's toxic 
yeah, I also hated that too. I mean, I liked how insidious he was, but uh, no, he like the villain as like yeah. I think uh, Neil Patrick Harris did a great job in this, but I just think that that was a really bad choice. It's it it especially like, coupled like, with like the jumping off of buildings and things like so. See, these are the kinds of things where like I get deaf. what you're saying about like this movie, like oh god, incredible as an art piece, cool. But these are the things that really pull me back and are like. No, I can't get behind this movie because of all of these ways that like it is just incredibly regressive. Yeah, I I agree with that. Like even if you are spending time going to tank this thing, do it responsibly? I yeah, I mean you do have a platform and so equating these two things with badness feels big conspiracy vibes and big like I don't know. It's just it's fuck it does not it does not read, it does not play. I also had a big issue with that. Then at the end, like Neo and Trinity aren't going to pull people out of the Matrix. They're just going to remake the Matrix. And to me, that also felt like a really fucking weird choice where it's like you're still using their tools. You can't dismantle their systems by changing the rules like within the system. You have to destroy the system in order to achieve true freedom and choice and all of that. So all you're doing is just now you're the problem. I'm sorry. I'm trying to think of like the word, but I'm no, just like, no, Ugh. no. Especially for a movie that is trying to echo as like a, a way, like the same ending from the first one, where it's like we have something to say and we're going to fly off into the, into the distance in the same way, right? Like that's the classic Matrix ending. In the first one, it's very clear: we're here to fuck your shit up. We're going to dismantle everything that it is that keeps us down, and we will win. End of movie. This one. It is, we will rebuild the system that keeps everybody held down, and we will do it in a cute way. With rainbows. With rainbows. End of movie. <laughs> We're, and yeah, it's, like, it's big. Why not? Just fucking unplug that shit right then. If you unplug everybody, if everybody is fucking safe, guess what? All the machines are, are gone. You don't fucking need them anymore. Like, you yeah. would solve so many problems by, and literally your entire goal, by just destroying the Matrix. Yeah. It's big neoliberal vibes. <laughs> we're gonna build. We're gonna Neo build it. Our, yeah, literally. <laughs> yes. Oh my god, that's iconic. Um, yeah, we're just gonna do it our way. It's toxic. No matter which way you slice it, it's bad. I I agree with the Wachowskis. I don't think that we should have continued. Unfortunately, oh, unfortunately, for the sake of capitalism, it did. Or if we are going to continue let somebody else pick up this mantle like maybe because i mean you told your story you told the story that you wanted to that meant something to you knowing what this movie um and what the story like had meant to so many people let somebody else take up that mantle because you know what sometimes like and i mean we've proved it here on the pod right when when somebody takes that and runs with it and like you know lets it evolve and like really owns it like it can be absolutely incredible so it's not always bad when somebody like is like hey look i love your idea i want to do this i mean blade runner 2049 was fucking cool right like yeah you can let other people like at a certain point as an artist like when you put your art out into the world that's it. That is like, you know, and you can't control how people are going to perceive it or what they're going to get out of it or anything. Right. Yeah. And at a certain point, I do think that it is cool for people to cover your song in a new way that is has absolutely no structure like yours did or isn't even the same genre. You know, I, I think that this might have been a better movie had they just been like, 
cool. Yeah. yeah like somebody if else somebody else it. has a story to tell in this universe, let that happen. But like when we're too precious with our ideas, I feel like we miss out on something that could be really great. Agreed. Yeah. I do think this could have benefited from somebody else telling the story. I mean, preferably somebody, uh, a non-white person with white dreads. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're back. We made it. We're we're, we're out of the matrix. We're, we're in the real world. We're free people. Eric. Yes. The original 1999 Matrix. What a year. Who was it for? It was for the trans community and for queer people at large. Uh, 100%. Like, it is such a good film. That's exactly who it was for. Who did you think it was for? Oh, my gosh. Um, Yeah, I can't. (laughs) I mean, like, especially with all the context that we have in, like, today, it's just, like, that's absolutely who it was for. It was also, like, really for Keanu Reeves' career and for the Wachowskis, too. I mean, like, this was their first first film, right? No, it was not. (gasps) Wait, I I have to. This is the first film that I know of them from. So, Assassins and Bound. Okay. Before The Matrix, so 95, 96, and then The Matrix. Okay, so for one of their first five films, see, I'm talking out of my ass. I'm so glad that we went yeah. and looked this up. Um, for one of their first films to be The Matrix, how fucking cool is that? It like, is very exciting and cool. Wait, did you oh. like it? Oh, I think it's... I li- I love it. I think it's such a, it's a piece of history. It's a piece of cinematic gold. I think the story is great, near perfect. Um, I could watch this so many times. I think it's just an iconic and incredible movie. I think it's great. Did you like it? Oh, absolutely. This is uh, a big five star for me. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I just I, I love it so much for all the reasons that we talked about, and also because like really what a perfect time for this to come out too where it is like 1999 it is y2k you know is upon us um such a moment in fashion like it just it perfectly encapsulates that time period and immortalizes it and makes it like timeless in a way that i don't think any other film in this era has any other film that is so like tech heavy i'll say like oh yeah you know so it's just such a good movie. And like you said, near perfect. What a treat. What a treat. Now, um, the 2021 uh, Matrix Revolution. Re- wait, no. What Resurrections. Is it? Resurrections. Oh, my God. <laughs> Anyways, was this new, interesting or the same or progressive, regressive? How we feeling? I think that it was both a new and interesting uh, in the way that it reclaimed an IP and sort of ran it into the ground in both a meta and destructive way. I thought it was incredibly regressive just in general from the themes to the sort of faux feminist sort of autonomy of Trinity to... I mean, there was like, like we said, there was a lot going on with it that was a little messy. Uh, I don't think that the story has evolved with today's ideals in like a positive way or like kind of at all, apart from the conversation with nostalgia, which we didn't really get into that much apart from like the meta thing. But like 
the cure for anxiety is a little bit of nostalgia. Like that was a line in there. There was a, the whole point of it being rebooted is because people love nostalgia. They want nostalgic things. Like even one of the head creators of it was like, you made me funk for seventh grade because I was obsessed with your game, blah, blah, blah. And I love a nostalgic, whatever. This means so much to me. And that Um, was actually a bot. (laughs) And it was a bot. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that that's the only way that it's really like captured a current trend in today's ideals. Just the nostalgia wave of, reboots and this constant need for reimagined ip that may have like salved or soothed loneliness in childhood for people but apart from that yeah i think it's very regressive but i also think it's both new and interesting what do you think i think it's definitely new um (laughs) okay drag (laughs) i like i mean i just spent like 50 minutes dragging this movie but parts of it were interesting like had some cool interesting ideas that didn't really pan out um yeah that's that's it like i think that it was i think that it was really regressive which is really disappointing Mm -hmm. like uh, for how progressive the original is i think you're right it didn't really evolve with today's ideals at all it was just kind of a movie that was stuck in nostalgia and also like nostalgic ideals like therapy is bad and this is what feminism looks like and this is what female autonomy look like and this movie didn't feel good and it didn't feel like it was saying anything good or um you know for a movie that was just obsessed with you know saying binary eighty four thousand times um you know and trying to get you to think outside of the binary this felt like a very fucking binary movie yeah (laughs) so uh, who do you think it was for? We know it who this is, is for. Oh, for me, like I had said before, this is for Yaya Abdul-Mateen II's career. I think that this <laughs> is 100% for him. This is for everything he's worked for from Candyman to this. I mean, granted, I know that there's a lineage of uh, history, like his filmography, I'm sure, is fairly impressive. But just standalone Candyman to this, I'm like, I cannot wait to see him in something else. He's fantastic. Yeah. Um, Who do you think, think this it, was for? I think it was for Lana. <laughs> I you know think what? she was That's like, true. fuck this. She was like, fuck you trying to make my movie without me. Fuck you threatening to make my movie without me. Like, this yeah. is mine. If somebody's going to tank it, it's going to be me. And yeah. she did it. And I applaud her for um, ruining it on her own terms <laughs> she really but did i'm mad she that i that. sat through it because i absolutely <laughs> didn't want to but i am happy that i didn't have to go to the theater to pay for it that's true <laughs> um yeah. did you like it i still really liked it i'm gonna stand by that i stand by liking this movie despite everything we've discussed i still stand by it as a creative piece of performative art alongside a really interesting meta commentary on IP uh, theft or like what, what have you like the idea of capitalism and like reiterative nostalgic reboot um, cash grabs. Cool. So I like it. Yeah. What do you think? Do you like it? <laughs> Hell no. I hated this. I was so mad that I had to watch this a second time. Yeah. I don't think I will ever go back and watch this movie again. <laughs> Um, (laughs) 
I love that you were able to find joy in this movie, but there is absolutely no fucking yeah. way that I was ever going to be able to find joy. Yeah. And I'm happy for for Lana being able to do this, but uh, I still think that um, some choices that were made, some irresponsible choices. Agreed. Um, oh, without a and, doubt. Yeah, absolutely can't like this movie. Mm-mm. Nope, 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 nope. I'm still mad. Mess. I'm so glad we finally got to talk about this, though. Because, Me too. Like, am I glad that I, I watched a couple days ago? So am I, I'm not as fired up? Probably. But I mean... We, I, like, I feel like, too, there's still so much we could talk about with just The Matrix as a whole. Like... I definitely wanted to get into like the animatrix and some of that like interstitial lore of storytelling and like because yeah. I do think that there was really some really like lovely stuff in there and oh my god you know what we're not going to get fully into it but I'm just going to call on this one of the animatrix segments or one of the shorts dealt with uh, suicidal ideation and the act of dying by suicide right mm-hmm. and that i feel like that if we're looking at that clearly i feel like a the conversation about like dying to get out of the matrix is like let's not do that but i feel like that held way much more grace for that conversation than this movie did mm-hmm. right um but that's beside the point anyways the animatrix is sick and i wish we could have like really dug into that because again there was a whole factory episode too and like Ah, there's just so much there's so much about it that's like cool and i feel like the matrix offers so much for so many different types of artists and storytellers that even if we're not looking at the main uh cinematic narrative pieces and we go into some like the video games or the animatrix or like what have you i feel like it's a really fun place to play with the idea of like simulacra or whatever anyways yeah oh absolutely and that's you know like those stories were not by the wachowskis exactly right and so that's that's what i mean when i say that other people have stories to tell within this space that you've created within this safe space that you've created to you know uh explore these kind of ideals you know so i do think it's a shame that um somebody else didn't get to tell a story and instead lana just tanked it i feel similarly yeah anyways we did it we we made it we finally did it we had the conversation thank you so much for listening everyone let us know what you thought of uh, the Matrix Resurrections. Yeah, I got the right one. <laughs> yes. Um, let us know what you thought because um, clearly we're of two different minds here. And um, <laughs> who whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? Whose side? Yeah, and which one of us is the red pill? You decide. <laughs> Ooh, Sound that's off a in the comments. <laughs> Ooh. Um, don't forget to rate and review us uh, wherever you get your podcast. And now on Spotify, you can do the star thing on the show page. So give us five stars because you love us. And uh, also to the person who gave us a two-star review and did not leave a comment, we see you and we will find you. <laughs> so consider that. That is the only two-star review. And I feel like two stars is a little bit more insulting than like, you know, just the one star. Yeah. Because it's like, it's Come like... Come on, Lana, tank us. I mean... No. Like... Wow. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> and to we'll, not leave a review? Oh, my goodness. We'll fucking find you. But, like, everyone else is five stars, so we love you yeah. all so, so much. But Thank um, you so much. And, like, uh, have your opinions on us 100%, but to us, I'm like, if you're going to drop our fucking rating, you can at least tell us why. And if you're the person who commented on our YouTube about why we were wrong about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, I don't care what you think. Secondly... <laughs> 
everyone should follow us on social media because oh. we have some great pages. <laughs> <laughs> that um, that comment on Charlie and the Chocolate Factory was it's like so funny. It's so iconic. Incredible. I know, and if he's listening to this, who, or rather, if they're listening to this, whoever this person is, um, we read it and we think about it pretty often. I think about it often because I think it's so Thank funny. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our episode and also to well, have like to oh, write truly. a, you know, to write we a affect- really meaningful response. We like yeah. actually really like feedback even when you don't agree with us. So um, Literally. it's really cool. We, affect- <laughs> we affected you so much that you wanted to come and like talk to it. Like, I mean, that's the whole point of the conversation. Like we're having conversations about these things. So if you disagree, gorgeous. If you agree, also gorgeous. It's irrelevant because the point of it is to have a conversation <laughs> about it. So we love yeah. it. You can reach out to us on social media or at our email at nostalgiapod at gmail.com. Our artwork and music is by Eric Lefebvre, editing by Danny Barkley. And uh, thank you again for listening. And thank you, Eric. Thank you, Jess. And remember, stay cute. And stay critical. Bye-bye. Goodbye. 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 This podcast has been brought to you by the Nostalgia Network. Visit thenostalgianetwork.com for more. You enter the dungeon and see the evil wizard pointing his wand directly at you. He says, Show me a funny and delightful actual play Dungeons & Dragons podcast or I'll consume your souls! What do you do? I take out my phone and find Quest Friends Forever on Spotify. I show him how to find Quest Friends Forever on Apple Podcasts. I share the Quest Friends Forever Instagram and YouTube pages with him. And you all get critical hits! Yay! Quest Friends Forever is an actual play podcast starring four friends with varying levels of Dungeons & Dragons experience. Join us for new episodes every other Wednesday as we embark on fantasy adventures, play fast and loose with the rules, and laugh at each other's shenanigans. No prior D&D knowledge is required to listen, so everyone can feel free to join the fun. Quest Friends 4, that's the number 4, like how there's four of us, ever. Find us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's Quest Friends Forever.